This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Welcome back, everyone. Today marks the halfway mark in my month of creepy book reviews. And this week, I'll share my thoughts on Lisa Springer's There's No Way I'd Die First, Carissa Orlando's September House, Lisa M. Matlin's The Stranger Upstairs, Katie Williams' My Murder, and we'll close out with Scott Leeds' Schrader's Cord. But before we jump into the reviews, let's take a look at some new books this week. First on my list is American Girl by Wendy Walker, a pulse-pounding novel about a small-town business owner found dead and the teenage girl caught in the crosshairs. Then we have Leave the Lights On by Liv Anderson. In this thrilling domestic suspense novel, a woman fights to hide her secrets as her life's idyllic facade begins to fall apart. Then we have Ten Things That Never Happened by Alexis Hall. Jonathan Forrest should never have hired Sam. It was a sentimental decision, and Jonathan didn't get where he is by following his heart. Determined to set things right, Jonathan orders Sam down to London for a difficult talk, only for a panicking Sam to trip, bump his head, and maybe accidentally imply he doesn't remember anything. Then we have The Search for Us by Susan Azim Boyer. Two half-siblings who have never met embark on a search together for the Iranian immigrant father they never knew. Then we have Sweeten the Deal by Katie Shepard. She's lonely, rich, and 10 years too young for him, but she's also his sugar daddy, and they couldn't have less in common. Then we have The House of Doors by Tan Tuan Eng. This traces the fault lines of race, gender, sexuality, and power under empire, and dives deep into the complicated nature of love and friendship in its shadow. Next is House Gone Quiet by Kelsey Norris a genre-bending debut story collection about the bonds and bounds of community and what it means to call a place home. Next is Thin Air by Kelly M. Parker. A flight to Paris full of teenagers seeking opportunity turns deadly in the suspenseful locked-door YA thriller. Then we have Our Divine Mischief by Hannah Howard. A sweeping young adult fantasy inspired by Scottish history and folklore, Our Divine Mischief takes readers on a journey told in three voices, a determined heroine, an outcast young man, and a wish-granting canine. Next is The Unmasking of June Farrow by Adrian Young. A woman risks everything to end her family's centuries-old curse, solve her mother's disappearance, and find love. Then we have One Christmas Morning by Rachel Greenlaw, a heartwarming debut novel about a woman's self-discovery, the strength found in friendship, and the promise of second chances. And last on my list, another Christmas book, The Twelve Dogs of Christmas by Susan Wiggs, a delightful novel about a Christmas transport of rescue puppies that's guaranteed to warm readers' hearts. And I'm sticking to my book ban. 
So I don't have any new books to share with you this week, so we will jump right into the reviews. And we will start with the young adult slasher, There's No Way I'd Die First, by Lisa Springer. This book was first released on September 5th, 2023 by Delacorte Press, and the synopsis reads, Noelle Lane knows horror. Every trope, every warning sign, every survival tactic. She even leads a successful movie club dedicated to the genre. Thus, who better to throw the ultimate, most exclusive Halloween party on all of Long Island? And with the guest list including the coolest kids in her senior class, her popularity is bound to spike. Hopefully enough to warrant an expansion into podcasting. Plus, the fact that attractive singer-songwriter Archer Mitchell is coming is honestly the candy corn on top. Nothing is going to kill her party vibes. Except, maybe the low-budget it clown she hires to lead a classic round of tag. He's supposed to be terrifying, though in a comforting, nostalgic way. Instead, the guy is giving major creeps. But maybe Noelle's just that good at hosting. Her confidence is immediately rocked when the night's entertainment acts as one of her guests, and he's not done yet. If an evil, murderous clown thinks life is a game, then Noelle is ready to play. She's been waiting a long time to prove that she's a final girl. I feel like I've had great luck the last week or so in finding fun, creepy slashers that speak to my slasher-loving heart. It started with How to Survive Your Murder, then continued with Dead of Winter, and now this one. I'm happy to report that There's No Way I'd Die First continued the trend of slasher books that I enjoyed and feel would make great movies. This story revolves around Noelle Lane, a self-proclaimed horror aficionado who knows every trick in the book when it comes to surviving in a scary movie. Noelle is a young black woman who loves horror films. She especially loves dissecting them and calling many of the classics out for lack of BIPOC representation. In fact, she has an entire club dedicated to this, and with any luck, she hopes to launch a podcast based on this same concept. She just needs to generate enough interest. Noelle decides to throw an exclusive Halloween party on her family's estate. The guest list includes only the coolest kids in her senior class, most of them influencers with large followings, who Noelle hopes will post about the party and in turn bring her even more followers and eventually sponsors for her podcast. But things take a terrifying turn when the creepy clown she hired to lead a round of tag starts to cross the line between eerie and downright murderous. When one of her guests is brutally murdered, Noelle realizes that her party has turned into a real-life horror movie. She and the rest of her guests are trapped in her estate. The electricity is out, phones don't work, there's a raging storm outside, and the clown, or someone, has booby-trapped the house, making escape seemingly impossible. Now it's up to Noelle and her horror-loving friends to draw on all they've learned from their favorite horror movies to survive the night. This is Springer's debut novel, and I was definitely impressed. The book is a testament to her talent as a writer and her knowledge and love for the horror genre. The plot is fast-paced and tight, each scene is expertly crafted, and the tension builds steadily throughout the book. One thing we slasher lovers look forward to in either a slasher movie or book is creativity in the kill, and this book has several of them. It was a hell of a lot of fun. As far as characters go, there are 13 plus the clown, and while I had a difficult time at first remembering who was who and what type of influencer they were, I eventually fell into it. Now, it's not long before several people are killed, and once our cast dwindled by half, it was easier to keep up with who was who. 
Noelle is a relatable and engaging protagonist. Her love for horror movies and her determination to prove herself as the final girl will definitely resonate with readers. It's no secret that in the 80s and 90s, when slasher movies were all the rage, people of color were often killed off early in the movie, if they appeared at all. So to have a strong, young female of color as the main character and hopeful final girl was refreshing. What sets this book apart from other horror novels is Springer's ability to infuse it with nostalgia and references to classic horror movies. For fans of the genre, these nods will be a delight and add an extra layer of enjoyment to the story. It feels like a love letter to horror movies, paying homage to the tropes and conventions that fans know and love. If you're a slasher movie lover, then this book is definitely a must-read. I gave it 4.5 stars on my blog and story graph, rounded down to 4 on Goodreads, and I gave it a 4 on the scary meter. Next, we'll chat about September House by Carissa Orlando. This book was first published on September 5th, 2023 by Berkeley. The synopsis reads, When Margaret and her husband Hal bought the large Victorian house on Hawthorne Street for sale at a surprisingly reasonable price, they couldn't believe they finally had a home of their own. Then they discovered the hauntings. Every September, the walls drip blood. The ghosts of former inhabitants appear, and all of them are terrified of something that lurks in the basement. Most people would flee. Margaret is not most people. Margaret is staying. It's her house. But after four years, Hal can't take it anymore, and he leaves abruptly. Now he's not returning calls, and their daughter Catherine, who knows nothing about the hauntings, arrives, intent on looking for her missing father. To make things worse, September has just begun, and with every attempt Margaret and Catherine make at finding Hal, the hauntings grow more harrowing, because there are some secrets the house needs to keep. I love when a book can creep you out one minute and then have you laughing the next. That is exactly what this book did. This book has a perfect blend of horror and humor and a nice amount of heart as well. The story follows Margaret and her husband Hal, who on the surface have led a reasonable life together. They've never been particularly wealthy and could never afford to own their own home. But then one day, after their daughter moves out and starts her own life, Margaret finds an ad for a beautiful Victorian home that is cheaply priced and both she and Hal fall madly in love with it. It's not long before they've purchased the home for themselves, and it's everything Margaret has ever dreamed of. It's the perfect forever home. But little did they know that this house was not as innocent as it seemed. As September rolls around, the house becomes a nightmarish place, with walls dripping blood, and then the mangled ghosts of former residents appear. Many of the ghosts seem to have been a victim of murder, likely within the walls of the home and there's a presence in the basement that seems to be extremely dangerous. Now, under these circumstances, most people would pack up and leave, but this is Margaret's dream house, dammit, and she refuses to leave. Once September passes, the house mostly returns to normal and the ghosts calm down, but then, when September rolls around again, things start back up. After four years of this, Hal has had enough and wants to leave, but Margaret's determined to stay. But then Hal disappears and their daughter Catherine, who doesn't know the house is haunted, comes to stay with Margaret and look for her father, kicking off the events of the book. One of the things that struck me about this book is the author's exceptional writing style. Carissa Orlando has a way with words that hook you from the very first page and keep you engaged until the last. She expertly balances the creepiness with the humor, but also manages to tug at the heartstrings here and there. There were several moments throughout the book where I found myself laughing out loud before being immediately pulled back into the heart-pounding suspense. 
I especially love the allegory in the novel. This is more than just a haunted house book. It's also about abuse and how difficult it can be for women to leave when they're being abused and the lengths they will go to protect their children. It also touches on mental health issues and the author handles both topics with great care. Character-wise, Margaret is a strong and resilient protagonist who refuses to be scared away by the hauntings. Her determination to uncover the secrets of the house and find her missing husband is admirable and makes her an instantly likable character. Margaret is very layered, and the further we go into the story, the more we learn about her and the more we adore her. Catherine, Margaret's daughter, brings a fresh perspective to the story. She's very straightforward, she holds nothing back. The fact that she's completely unaware of the hauntings adds another layer to the story. Her skepticism and logical thinking provide a nice balance to Margaret's unwavering belief in the supernatural. Even the ghosts are well-developed characters with their own stories and fears, which adds depth to the overall narrative. Rarely do we get to know so much about the ghosts in a haunted house, so knowing their backstories was very refreshing and made me feel more grounded in the overall story. The pacing of the book is also spot on, with the suspense building up gradually throughout the story. Each chapter is brief, which makes things move quickly and leaves you wanting more. The way the intensity of hauntings escalates with every passing day propels the novel forward as we try and figure out what happened to Hal, what exactly lives in the basement, and can it be stopped? Or does it need to be? At one point, we begin to wonder if maybe all of this is just a figment of Margaret's imagination. And just when you think you have everything figured out, the author throws in a clever twist that will leave you questioning everything you thought you knew. Now, I know we're only halfway through the month of scary reads, but I think I may have found my favorite book of the fall with this one. This is a masterfully written novel that had me hooked from beginning to end. I love the characters, I love the story, and I love the theme. I felt it was very well written, so do yourself a favor, check this one out. I gave it five stars and a four on the scary meter. I'll be right back after the break. Alright, now I'll share my thoughts on Lisa M. Matlin's The Stranger Upstairs. This book was first published on September 12th, 2023 by Bantam, and was my book of the month pick for September. The synopsis reads... Sarah Slade is starting over. As the new owner of the infamous Blackwood House, the scene of a grisly murder-suicide, she's determined that the fixer-upper will help reach a new audience on her successful lifestyle blog and distract her from her failing marriage. But as Sarah paints over the house's horrifying past, she knows better than anyone that a new facade can't conceal every secret. Then the builders start acting erratically and experiencing bizarre accidents, and Sarah knows there's only so long she can continue to sleep in the bedroom with the bloodstained floor and suffer the mysterious footsteps she hears from the attic. When menacing notes start appearing everywhere, Sarah becomes convinced that someone or something is out to kill her. Her husband, her neighbors, maybe even the house itself. The more she remodels Blackwood House, the angrier it seems to become. With every passing moment, Sarah's life spirals further out of control, and with it, her sense of reality. Though she desperately clings to the lies she's crafted to conceal her own secrets, Sarah Slade must wonder, was it all worth it? Or will this house be her final unraveling? I may have made a mistake reading this book right after September House. 
As I just mentioned, I love September House, and this one sounded somewhat similar. I was hoping at the very least for a creepy mystery, but in the end, it left much to be desired, in my opinion. The novel follows the journey of Sarah Slade, who recently purchased the infamous Blackwood House, a location known for a tragic murder-suicide. Sarah sees this as an opportunity to revamp her lifestyle blog and escape the troubles in her marriage. She's hoping that once she's renovated the house, her influencer status will have improved, she'll have money in her pockets, and her marriage will be headed in a more positive direction. As she starts renovating the house, strange events begin to occur. Ominous notes appear around the house, strange footsteps can be heard walking around in the attic, and why do all of her neighbors seem so hostile toward her? While all of these things are addressed in the book, I felt a little let down by all of it. One of the biggest issues I had with the book was the characters. I didn't like any of them. I've said before that I love an unreliable narrator, and Sarah is definitely unreliable, and she lets you know off the bat that she's unreliable, because she keeps telling us how she's an awful, unreliable person. That was a lot of the problem. I don't need the narrator to tell me what a piece of shit they are. If I'm going to spend four to five hours of my time with you, I want to figure that out on my own while maintaining a little bit of empathy for you. I want to not trust you, but also understand where you're coming from. I want to root for you, but feel conflicted about it. I never felt that way about Sarah. After the first few chapters, I already disliked her and she never did anything to redeem herself. I found her actions and choices throughout the story to be inconsistent, making it difficult to empathize with her at all. The supporting cast felt equally underdeveloped, and I was never fully clear on any of their motives, or maybe I was just hoping for something a little more deep. There was also a lack of focus in the storytelling, which made it difficult for me to remain engaged. The murder-suicide case is supposedly at the center of the plot, according to the synopsis, but ended up feeling like a mere backdrop to Sarah's personal struggles, and since I hated Sarah, I didn't really care what happened to her. The scattered narrative and shallow character development really hindered the story for me. The twists were underwhelming, and the final reveal was a huge disappointment. It left me wondering what the point of any of it was. The synopsis of this book made me feel like I would love it, and I had high hopes for this one, or at least hopes for an engaging mystery, but sadly, I didn't get what I'd hoped for. While the concept of a haunted house and a protagonist on the brink of unraveling held potential, the execution just wasn't there. I gave this one two stars and a one on the scary meter. I was so disengaged I couldn't be bothered to be even a little creeped out. Next, we'll chat about My Murder by Kate Williams. This book was first published by Riverhead Books on June 6th, 2023. The synopsis reads, Lou is a happily married mother of an adorable toddler. She's also the victim of a local serial killer. Recently brought back to life and returned to her grieving family by a government project, she is grateful for this second chance. But as the new Lou readapts to her old routines and as she bonds with other female victims, she realizes that disturbing questions remain about what exactly preceded her death and how much she can really trust those around her. Now it's not enough to care for her child, love her husband, and work the job she's always enjoyed. She must also figure out the circumstances of her death. Darkly comic, tautly paced, and full of surprises, My Murder is a devour-in-one-sitting clever twist on the classic thriller. Let me start off by saying this book was not at all what I was expecting. 
Reviews for this one have been all over the place. People seem to either love or hate this one with very few readers falling in the middle of the road. Now, being who I am, I am one of the outliers who fall more in the middle of the road with this one. Didn't blow me away, but I absolutely didn't hate it either. It was just very different from what I was expecting. The story takes place in the distant future and follows Lou, a young mother who is killed by a local serial killer. Thanks to a new technology, Lou and the four other victims of the serial killer are brought back to life via a cloned body. Lou has almost all of her memories intact, with the exception of those memories surrounding her death. As she returns to her old life and integrates back into society, Lou feels mostly normal, despite the fact that her baby hasn't quite bonded with her, and anytime she goes out in public, everyone stares at her. But it's the time she spends in therapy with the other victims of the serial killer that make her begin to question things. Some of the specifics around her murder don't add up, and seem to go against the M.O. of the actual serial killer. Was she really a victim of this guy, or was she actually murdered by a copycat? And more importantly, was that copycat someone she knows? What sets my murder apart from other serial killer thrillers is the addition of the sci-fi element of cloning. I thought this was an interesting addition, but at the same time, I wanted to know more about it. On one hand, I get that it's something that is possible in this world the author has created. I just wanted to know a little more behind it. The bodies of the victims were able to be cloned very quickly, like within a few weeks, and I wanted to know how that was possible. I also wanted to know more about the program and why it was approved, how it was developed. I mean, we learned that the company who performs the cloning has been under scrutiny for some shady practices. We get the sense that not just anyone can be cloned and brought back, but we don't know why, and I wanted more of that. I realized that the program itself wasn't the central plot of the story, and we as readers need to just accept that this is what happens in this world, but I'm a curious soul and I wanted to know a little more. All that aside, one aspect of the book that I particularly enjoyed was the bond Lou forms with the other female victims. Williams delves into the complexities of their relationships, exploring themes of survival, trust, and sisterhood. It was refreshing to see strong female characters supporting and empowering each other, even in the face of unimaginable circumstances. I felt that the writing was very strong, the pacing of the book was perfect, Lou is a strong protagonist, and Williams does an excellent job of capturing the range of emotions that Lou experiences, from grief and anger to determination and vulnerability. Well, one other minor criticism that I have, aside from wanting to know more about the cloning company, is that the resolution of the mystery surrounding Lou's death felt somewhat rushed. I also felt it was a little anticlimactic, maybe. After building up tension and suspense throughout the book, I felt that the conclusion was a little underwhelming and had me wanting more in that area. However, this did not detract from my overall enjoyment of the story. It was good, like I said earlier, just different from what I was expecting. In conclusion, I felt this was definitely an entertaining read, and while I wanted a little more, I felt the book was well-written and was a clever and unique take on serial killers. I gave it three and a half stars on my blog and Storygraph and a three on Goodreads. I didn't find it scary at all, so I just gave it a one on my scary meter. Last review of the day, I will close out with my thoughts on Schrader's Cord by Scott Leeds. This book was first published on September 5th, 2023 by Tor Nightfire. The synopsis reads, After his estranged father's mysterious death, Charlie Remick returns to Seattle to help with the funeral. 
There, he discovers his father left him two parting gifts, the keys to the family record store and a strange black case containing four antique records that, according to legend, can open a gate to the land of the dead. When Charlie, his sister, and their two friends play the records, they unwittingly open a floodgate of unspeakable horror. As the darkness descends, they are stalked by a relentless, malevolent force and see the dead everywhere they turn. With time running out, the only person who can help them is Charlie's resurrected father, who knows firsthand the awesome power the records have unleashed. But can they close the gate and silence Schrader's cord before it's too late? This is a book that I feel like a lot of my friends on Bookstagram had been talking about, and one that I really wanted to read but was afraid it would not live up to the hype. I was so wrong. I really enjoyed this one. I love the characters, the style, and the creepy vibe. The story revolves around Charlie Remick, a young music exec who has a knack for discovering new bands. When Charlie gets word from his sisters that their father hung himself, Charlie heads back to Seattle for the funeral and to help get things in order. When the will is read, Charlie is left with his dad's record store and a strange black case containing four records. These records allegedly hold a special power when all four are played simultaneously. Now, for many of us, or at least for me, my thought would be, uh, nope. I've seen far too many horror movies. I don't need to find out what happens when we play all of the records at the same time. Lucky for us, though, Charlie, one of his sisters, and two of the employees from the music store are curious souls and leave common sense at the door. They play the records and awaken a force that they're not prepared to deal with. Now it's a race against time to figure out how they can close the door that unleashed a sinister force and now has them seeing dead people everywhere they turn. And lucky for them, Charlie's father has returned with several other spirits and Charlie's dad knows exactly what has happened, but does he know how to fix it? The concept of the antique records that open a gateway to the land of the dead is definitely unique and very intriguing. It sets the stage for a suspenseful and chilling narrative that doesn't disappoint. The way Leeds explores the consequences of opening this gate and the terrifying experiences the characters undergo while trying to figure out how to right this wrong is masterfully done. The sense of horror and suspense is palpable, and I often found myself holding my breath as I turned the pages. Aside from the creative plot, one of the things I love most about this novel is the characters. Leeds has done a fantastic job of creating characters that feel authentic and three-dimensional. From Charlie and his complex relationship with his father, to Charlie's sister Elsie, and Anna and Dale from the record shop, each character is unique and adds depth and relatability to the story. I also enjoyed the exploration of family dynamics and the themes of loss and grief. Through the Remick family's experiences, Leeds delves into the profound impact that loss can have on individuals, especially when the relationships are complex. The style of the book is also worth mentioning. Leeds has a distinct writing style that is both poetic and atmospheric, which adds to the overall creepy vibe of the story. From the beautifully descriptive passages to the spine-chilling moments, the author has created a perfect balance that keeps the reader engaged through the entire book. Now, despite the darkness and danger that pervades the story, there are moments of hope that definitely shine through, which provides a sense of balance and keeps the reader invested in the character's journeys. I love when a book can capture both the darkness and the light in such a captivating way. The pace is another strength in this book. Leeds knows exactly when to speed things up and when to slow them down. There were moments when I couldn't put the book down and others where I had to stop and catch my breath. 
The ebb and flow of suspense and intensity kept me fully engaged through the entire novel. In my opinion, this is an exceptional novel that combines captivating characters, an intriguing premise, and just enough tension to keep you on the edge of your seat. This is a different type of ghost story, and I enjoyed it very much. It was definitely fresh and unexpected. If you are a horror lover looking for something new and refreshing, this is a must-read. Leeds has crafted a story that will stay with you long after you finish the final page. I gave it five stars and a four on the scary meter. That's it for today. Now, don't forget to rate and follow on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram for all things bookish. The handle there is at just read it already pod. You can also find links to all the books that I talked about today on the website at justreaditalready.com. Now join me next week when I share my thoughts on Jennifer Hillier's Things We Do in the Dark, Mike Omer's Please Tell Me, Jimmy Giuliano's Dead Eleven, How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendricks, and Jessica Knoll's Bright Young Women. We'll see you next week. Music